ever looks out for the taxpayer ever? That's my question. Does anybody ever represent the taxpayer in any discussion? I was thinking about it. So earlier we were talking with uh, one of our experts, Mark Krikorian, on immigration and talking about, you know, the the, the the social welfare state and all that sort of stuff. Then we were just talking with uh, Craig Gottwalls about Obamacare and health care and subsidies and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, nobody's ever looking out for the taxpayer. And then I just got this email from my local school. Just got this free meals program extended exclamation point. And it says we have great news to share. The U.S. Department of Agriculture recently extended its free universal meals program for kids 18 and under throughout the summer. So kids can now get one free breakfast and one free lunch per child per day. And it's always presented with exclamation points and just isn't this fantastic. And does anybody ever represent the taxpayer who might be saying, like I'm saying, what are these freaking meals costing me? Why aren't these parents buying their kids their own food? How many of these meals get eaten versus thrown in the trash? God dang it. Nobody ever represents that side of the discussion. That drives me crazy. Thanks for taking my money. That's right. Thank you, Michael. Bringing us into this discussion and others uh, joining us is Lon Chen, candidate for California State Controller. He needs to control this. David and Diane Steffi, fellow in American Public Policy Studies at the Hoover Institution and the Director of Domestic Policy Studies at Stanford. Juan He, welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Hey, Jack, great to be with you. I just don't like all the exclamation points. Anybody, somebody, times, <laughs> somebody talks about spending taxpayer money. It's never, ever, ever from the other side. Your comments. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, and I think that explains in part why you've seen such a growth in, I mean, if you look back over the last, I don't know, two years, a lot of people don't realize we've put $6 trillion of new spending into the economy in the U.S., $6 trillion. And at no point along the way did somebody stop and say, well, is that really going to be the best idea? What are the implications of it? Now, some of that spending you can argue happened, you know, we're in the midst of COVID and, you know, we needed to buy PPE and all this other stuff, fine. So maybe you give them a pass for the first trillion. But then the next five trillion came along. And what, and what happened? Well, predictably now, everything costs more. I, I saw a graphic that on the 4th of July, all of the things we needed for picnics, right? Hot dogs, ketchup, lettuce, condiments. The price on all of those things has escalated by in some cases 20 to 25% over the course of the last 18 months. And, and so the problem with all of this sort of free money kind of mentality that we have is that you're right, nobody ever stops and says, well, what's the cost of it? And by the way, who's keeping accountability right. to make sure that the money that's being spent is actually going to where it's going? You know, the school lunch thing you mentioned is really interesting because there was an expose by a great reporter named Susan Crabtree uh, who writes for Real Clear Politics, and she had a, had an expose about, I don't know, six months ago, where she found that what was happening with these free lunch funds was that they were actually going into wealthy school districts. Yeah. School districts where the median income was in excess of like $200,000 well, a year. I got interrupted. So the school, I just got this email from my school. A house sold behind me, crappy old house, 1,300 square feet right next to the school, sold for a million point one <laughs> just the other yeah. day. And they're giving out free lunches 100 feet from that house that I'm paying for? What the hell is that? 
Well, and, and it's like, you know, if the goal of the program was to target kids who really needed the lunches, I think everyone would say, yeah, sure, sure let's do I that. I get it. But there's, but, there's no, but there's nobody keeping watch. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, I mean, people are always like, well, what the heck does the state controller do? Well, the reality is this is the job of the state controller is to be the watchdog, to make sure that when we see emails like this, we follow up and investigate and say, hey, what's actually going on in that school district? Are the kids who really need the food getting it? Or is it going to a bunch of other people who, frankly, let's be honest, given given their income situation, probably can afford to buy their kids lunch? Right. And can we better you can we better use those resources somewhere else to solve real problems like, oh, I don't know, homelessness, the crime that we see on our streets, all of the challenges that we have in our state with infrastructure? Can we address those? And and nobody, to your point at the beginning of our of our segment here, nobody is is paying attention to what the taxpayers need and want. And this is the problem we have with state government. It's the problem we have with the federal government is that there's nobody there keeping watch. And, and that, that attitude and mentality has to change. Is that something you would be doing if you end up being California's state controller? Absolutely. The controller has the ability to look into spending at the state level or any, any uh, local jurisdiction that uses state money. So school districts are a perfect example. We have had zero accountability around spending in our public schools. I just want people to realize how much money has gone into the public schools from the federal government. Now, if that money had gone to, you know, help classrooms be safer for kids or making sure that teachers get paid what we want them to get paid, if those were the things that we were spending money on, I think everyone would say, okay, we, we can accept that money. The problem is, and I, and I hear these stories from school district board members across our state, there is so much federal money coming in, they don't know how to spend it. Oh, I'm sure. I guarantee you it, that's happening out of all the $6 and, trillion and, and, dollars and you're they, just talking about. If they don't spend it, the money goes away. So they sure. say, well, we've got to spend it on stuff. We've got to buy stuff. But nobody is saying, hey, are you spending the money in a way that is consistent with what the law demands and requires? Is it consistent with what's going to be best for our kids and our teachers and our parents and our families? Nobody's asking that question. And that's why the state controller's office is important. That's why I want to do it. And by the way, you know, it, it is a watchdog function. And so you can't trust people in the Sacramento insider cabal to, to, to do the job. They're just not going to do it. All they're going to do is make sure their friends are happy and they're satisfying all of the other politicians around Sacramento. And that's why we've got to get an outsider in there. And that's the kind of background I bring to the job. Um, yeah, well, I like that idea of state controller being a, a more emphasized office. You know, I don't know if every state has the same role or they have different names in different places, but God dang it, I, I, I hope society gets to a place someday where we pay attention. We get our paycheck. You see the number at the top, that's what you made this month, and then you see this number, what you're actually getting to keep. All that other money, where did it go? What did it get spent on? I, I, why don't more people care about that? Well, it, it is interesting, right? We, we have a, a financial literacy issue in our country where uh, we, we need to help people understand exactly where their money is going and what it's being used for. You know, my son's 11. Uh, he's taken to biking around with his friends. It's the summer. Of course, that's what they do. And, you know, they end up every once in a while at Baskin-Robbins. Great. So they end up at Baskin-Robbins. They buy a scoop of ice cream. And my son comes back and he says, I don't get it. The scoop of ice cream, it said, you know, it was $2. But they asked me for, you know, $2.25. Right. I said, well, yes, son, that's something called sales tax. And he said, well, wh- why don't they tell you about this? And it's like, 
Well, yeah, they do. It's on the receipt. But, yeah, I mean, I suppose we could do a better job of telling people they got to pay sales tax. But his basic point is like, well, if I if I knew it would cost the extra 25 cents, then I would have budgeted accordingly. You know, I, I, I may be wondering where that 25 cents goes. And he's like, well, where do you think it goes, Dad? And I'm like, great question. Great question. I'm actually not sure where it goes. But somebody needs to figure that out. And and this is the this is the thing for people across our state and across our country. It's like, you know, the, the, the issue we have is that there's no accountability for where this money is going. I think people would feel a lot better if if we actually knew where the money was going and we felt comfortable saying, Okay, let's determine whether this is a good use of spending or not. Unfortunately, you know, we don't have that. I uh I don't know that there's any malfeasance going on here, but there's a couple of schools where I've seen them do uh, like when I'm playing at the park with my kids, do some paving jobs around the school that I think, why are you doing that? I don't see what the problem was where I feel like they're just trying to spend some of that money. That's got to be happening various places. Yeah, I, I think it is. And, and, you know, the problem is there are a lot of places around the state where we, we probably could use actual, you know, paving of the roads or repaving. Sure, of course. And, 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 you know, the, the, the problem and the challenge, again, comes back to all of this money has flooded into California, and, and they can't spend it fast enough. You know, people wonder why we had $20 billion in fraud in our unemployment insurance system. I don't know if you heard about this rapper that got arrested. He basically was flaunting how he defrauded taxpayers in right. California. The focus of his rap was basically how he was making a living off of off of defrauding people through the unemployment insurance system. And, and the reason this happens is because the proper controls aren't in place. Nobody is stopping and saying, hey, does it make sense for you to give benefits to everybody, even if maybe they're not qualified? And, and nobody saw fit to ask these questions. And so $20 billion later, I want folks to realize we had a three-cent increase in the gas tax on July 1st here in California, okay? For the amount of money these fraudsters took from us, they could have paid, we could have paid, 38 years worth of gas taxing. Wow. 38 years. Wow. And, and, and by the way, you know, nothing to see here. You have to do some, nothing to see here. The Democratic leadership in the state of California, nothing to see here. Move right along. Let's talk about. Oh, don't, don't go away, phone. Be here. Okay, you're back. Uh, sorry, we lost you there just brief, briefly, and I, I understand exactly what you're saying. Uh, nobody's paying any attention to that. Hey, I got to ask you a question before you go. By the way, uh, if you if vote in California, vote for Lon He Chen for California State Controller. I mean, he's being he's being endorsed by people that never endorse Republicans because we need that. Got a question for you. So polling came out this yeah. week. We've got the lowest numbers ever for uh, belief in the institution of the Supreme Court. Congress is at seven percent. The belief in the presidency, wrong track is now almost 90%. How big a problem is this for a country to have those numbers? Yeah, it, it is a problem when institutional uh, people's belief in institutions get gets eroded, like it's been eroded. And the Supreme Court is interesting. You know, it used to have a, approval ratings that were north of 70 or 80%. Right, right. But like everything else, everything else has become polarized, you know, whether it's the presidency or Congress. Uh, it's become polarized. And I, I think it's a big problem for American democracy, because one of the things that our democracy relies on is faith and trust in institutions. And it's very difficult to have that when everything has been so polarized. And unfortunately, I wish I could say that I saw better days ahead. But the problem is everything is polarized. I mean, I don't care what it is, even stuff outside of politics. 
you know, social media and pop culture, everything's become polarized. So I, I do worry about that. I mean, an institution like the Supreme Court, it, it is their responsibility to interpret the law, to uphold the rule of law, to, to call other branches of government out when they cross the line. And, and they serve that function legitimately. And, you know, I, I think part of the challenge is that people look at it and they say, eh, you know, I don't really buy that institution stuff anymore because I don't agree with them. And, you know, it, the Constitution doesn't say that you believe in institutions when you agree with them. Right. The Constitution says, here are the institutions, here's what they're supposed to do. And, and we have a system of government that's worked for as long as it's worked because we believe in institutions. And so I, I, I do worry about it, Jack. I worry about where we're headed. Yeah, I do, too. And I, I, I got to believe that those numbers don't get reversed very easily. I mean, that would take years and years to rebuild that sort of faith in those institutions, which, uh, you know, I don't, I don't even know if it's impossible. But anyway, Lonnie Chen, candidate for California State Controller and all kinds of other stuff. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Jack. Great to be with you. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.